everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet. Like the intro said, where I bring you the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. That being said, if you're new to the show or if you've been here for all 165 episodes, welcome back and welcome for the first time for those new watchers or listeners, whether it be on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Or if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast destination, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or uh, Foundry, or I should say uh, Stitcher, not Foundry. Uh, Foundry is the company we're talking about today. But uh, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast destination, we can find everything actually um, all past 164 episodes. You can go to by going to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. Very simple. Um, everything's going to be there in terms of the transcripts, episode by episode breakdowns, key takeaways, as well as just learning more about our guests. So that being said, uh, welcome. If you're new, uh, again, to the podcast, you can ask your questions live in the comments section. It's going to be really easy to find. It's going to be below the video portion of whether, whether you're scrolling through, you're doing some work this morning, you're grabbing some cup of coffee, and you want to just listen to high-level and great content about this topic that we're going to be touching on today. Go ahead and ask your questions, uh, whether it's for myself or our guest. Um, it's an open forum, and it's very relaxed episode. So again, welcome on this Friday. We're going to keep it really fun and exciting for you, um, the listener and the watcher as well. That being said, Crossover Commerce. Before we get too excited and into our episode today, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. What's a Ping Pong Payment? You might ask, well, that's a great question. Ping Pong is actually a cross-border payment solution. If you are an Amazon seller or you're in business in general <clears throat> that is trying to pay your manufacturer or distributor in a localized currency, Ping Pong is the company for you, whether it's paying your VAs, your suppliers and manufacturers, like I said, trying to save some money and get your products to you quicker um, instead of going to a bank, waiting for that international transfer to hit their bank accounts and then for them to exchange your fees uh, or exchange the currencies. Save more on fees, get your money to them quicker by using ping pong payments. Also, if you're selling internationally, you want to make sure that you can receive in multiple different currencies instead of having Amazon convert it for you. That's expensive. You don't want them to do that. Of course, we're trying to save on fees here. So use a solution like ping pong payments to help you save money and put it to your bottom line. That being said, check out ping pong payments or you can go to uh, the links in the comment section below and let them know. You heard about crossover uh, ping pong from crossover commerce. Thank you, ping pong, and thank you for sponsoring crossover commerce. That being said, uh, again on Friday, uh, if you're again fan of the show, a friend of the show, I like to have a lot of fun and I like to talk about some of my favorite topics in the space right now. And I think that there's continuing buzz around this space in terms of aggregation, brand building, um, gro hyper growth companies that are trying to take brands from whether it's success already in the space to the next level. And I think that is one of the most fascinating and obviously very young spaces in our industry to date. That being said, there's lots of different companies continuous pop up. We've had lots of them on the show and provided great content, but there's also people that have um, their expertise and backgrounds of why they get into it, which is the most fascinating aspect, whether it be they worked as a third party seller and have built a brand. Um, they have, this finance background and they this is an investment opportunity or they actually just come from amazon themselves and have said my next opportunity is actually going to take what i've seen and help build out myself and i'm going to do that for other people and kind of make a different run at it in that regards and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today 
uh, is the insights and what I've called this episode, the insights to building a foundation of successful brands online. That being said, it's, it's branding is, is kind of my forte. I think I, I love it when people want to come out of business in terms of building a brand instead of a simple product transaction. I think that this industry is moving towards how to operate as a brand and everyone has a different definition of that. I think brand is uh, something that's recognizable by either the icon or the graphic that it might be represented or by the product itself. And you know for a fact that, hey, that is what this brand is. And I can recognize the thought, the feeling I'm supposed to get by looking at that product or looking at that website or looking at that company and saying, this is what I'm supposed to feel and know what they're about. That is a brand and a simple definition. But that being said, we're going to start uh, and talk about, obviously, the building and foundation of the successful brands online and what it takes. Um, truly, it's a really difficult thing to do, trying to fight your way through the crowd. Um, but how do you stand out and how do you make that brand sing and make it profitable and uh, help it grow? So I brought on, now I'm going to be friend of the show, um, uh, founder or one of the co-founders and uh, basically the acquisition strategy a lead for the company Foundry, who just as of March, uh, they actually, we were talking pre-show, but as of March announced that their $100 million uh, raise in terms of finances, and now they're building brands and acquiring brands to help them grow. Um, and they're all a full, fully remote team. So doing this fully remote during the pandemic um, and operating at scale, brought him on board to talk through his background and experience in this space. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring on to Crossover Commerce, Kyle Walker. Kyle, welcome from the West Coast. You're all the way in Seattle. So welcome bright and early today. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, of course. So I, I kind of give you, I, that was a really terrible introduction of yourself. You, you, We were talking pre-show about all the great things that you've done in your past. Um, and you and I found this commonality between we, are, we have this breadth of knowledge instead of this depth of like one specific area. But for people who haven't know your background specifically, uh, kind of can you give us like a quick either 60 seconds kind of like a brief rundown of your background and where, why you are where you are today? Yeah. Um, so again, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I really started out of out of grad school um, as an instructor at the University of South Florida um, and from there, went into to working in sales at, at Nike Golf. Uh, spent some time then as a as a merchant or buyer at Dick's Sporting Goods for for a lot of golf categories. Uh, spent some time in e-commerce operations at, at GNC, and then the opportunity to get a little bit closer to home. I grew up in Oregon. Uh, we had just had our first son. The opportunity to to get a little closer to the grandparents uh, presented itself in the opportunity in Amazon and arrived at Amazon in 2013. Uh, my team originally managed about the top 20% of sellers on Marketplace, so I was an account manager and and leading that area. Um, and from there, you know, really in 20 late 2014, saw as as you said in your lead up you know, that brand revolution of, you know, people launching businesses direct to consumer, um, whether that happened in crowdfunding, whether that happened through advertisements in social media, whether that happened just primarily on Amazon. Um, you know, I think our marketplace needed to evolve to support brand owners in a different way than we supported resellers. And so 
we started a program called Amazon Exclusives, which is now part of Amazon Launchpad. Um, so it was involved in both the creation of both of those programs. And I always say that our team, you know, many of the things that you see in Seller Central, whether it's the brand analytics portal, whether it's, you know, a new brand registry program, whether it's um, new advertising tools or access to deals, a lot of those things were were driven part primarily or partially at least by our team uh, being able to kind of surface that those things had value to brand owners and how they use them because our team was engaged with so many brand owners. We probably worked with around 10,000 brands over my seven years, uh, give or take. Um, and so you start to recognize a pattern of, you know, what, what makes a brand, what makes it last, uh, what the foundational pieces are that, that are going to predict some growth. And, you know, from there, uh, spent the last couple of years of, of my time at Amazon, really in the M&A space, um, you know, options for, for brands in exchange for kind of service, service related contracts where, you know, we would give somebody, um, you know, uh, better service, um, account management, advertising, um, handle some of their marketing for them um, in exchange for, you know, kind of a greater level of partnership with the company. That's amazing. So, uh, so what, what made you, I've always found it fascinating, right? Um, working for a company like Amazon is, is fantastically huge. There's so many different, the people I talk with that are still even there, they're saying we are almost pretty much siloed and it's really difficult to understand that concept because it's such a massive machine. There's so many cogs in the wheel. Um, but the impact is so great on, on, on the scale for us in this industry. I always find it fascinating though. Why would somebody want to leave something as large and as growing as Amazon and kind of do their own thing. Is it for you, was it a nature of like personal preference or was it just like career growth or what, what was that reason for you to kind of step away from a, a massive company? Again, you see it across the board of like big companies like Facebook, Google, they go do their own thing and they grow a huge business. Was it that nature that you wanted to build something from the ground up then? Um, and that was with Foundry. What, what was that conversation like for yourself and your family? Yeah, I think I've always had I've always had somewhat of a entrepreneurial bug. I just, you know, the picture wasn't clear of what it was going to be and and what I was going to do. And, you know, I think in combination with the fact that, um, you know, my seven years at, at Amazon were great. You know, I the the experience was great being at Marketplace during that time, you know, from the immense amount of growth and importance of Marketplace from 2013 to you know, to 2020 is, is pretty crazy, right? Like if you look back at some of the statistics and, and, and all the things that come out in, you know, Amazon's press releases, if you go back to 2013, you know, marketplace was, was a great business and probably accounted for, you know, give or take around 30% of, of total consumer sales. And, you know, you see where they're at now saying it's over 50%. There, there, that's a lot of growth. Um, and there's a lot of different contributing factors and projects and, you know, things that happen behind the scenes to contribute to that growth. Um, and, and it was really all about serving the sellers on the marketplace better so that they could better serve customers. And that was a, you know, that was a fun time to be around. But I think, you know, always having the entrepreneurial bug and, and wanting to get back to how do you just, I really enjoyed the. I guess call it the service to to the brand owners you know the 
the fact that our team for you know five of those seven years um or six of those seven years even was really kind of your liaison to understand more about amazon we couldn't obviously share everything from from inside but when people didn't understand the policy decision when you know something was going to change that was potentially going to have an impact on their business and to be able to help them through that moment and then you know not because we wanted credit for it but just because it was the right thing to do to help them you know it became clear i think you know to me last summer that that was a real passion area it was a real calling for me and and having the ability to to help people on the on the outside was a need too um and so i started a consulting company last summer uh called the lab and and did that for a few months as we were figuring out what we were going to do with foundry and i think foundry was probably one of the more exciting ideas that you know came across um you know as we started talking obviously you mentioned it the at the intro there's there's a lot of people in the aggregation space and so i think as we thought about it myself and one of our other co-founders you know we have almost a combined 24 years of of amazon experience together all all of which or most of which is in marketplace and so you know <clears throat> you build a career around kind of the the service to these sellers and watching them grow and thrive and we thought to ourselves if you're if you're going to go do this how are you going to be different and i think we started sketching out ideas that are still true today which is we think we think we can be different and unique and bring something unique to the table in one you know the service to the founders it's not an accident that our name is foundry you know we want we want to leverage the the relationships that we have with the founders whether that means you know continuing to participate um you know in that brand and and leverage some of our resources to do so to to go faster we see those as win-win scenarios sure. uh, two you know i think to your point we're really looking for brands and and we go through the same exact discussion that you described we we're not interested in finding you know just a product company we're looking for something that has the foundations to be a decade durable brand and then we want to ultimately be stewards of that brand to help unlock you know future value going forward and then three i think you know the our capital being equity as opposed to you know debt gives us the ability to think long term invest in the right things for the business which is you know software and tech um the team to be able to <coughs> live up to our you know commitments to these brand owners and you know ultimately invest in the right things in the future so that we are sustainable and we have we can have that type of impact and so i think we look for decade durable brands we you know really come from an operations background which is which is a little bit unique in this space um and so i think we felt like there was enough uniqueness that we'd have an opportunity here to to, to have a positive impact on on this industry. Right, I, I wanna kind of go back because there's a lot you threw out there that I think there are a lot of major bullet points that a lot of people, especially in this space, try to make that distinction between um, companies and why why one can quote unquote raise $2 billion, right? 
in, you know, that that's put out there or a company can raise, you know, $25 million. And what's the difference? And you said something that was fascinating that I've always heard that you guys or that Foundry has been um, successful at is that I want to say majority, if not all of the money that you've raised is all gone towards equity. Is that correct? Or is that fictitious? Okay. No, that's, uh, that's completely correct. So for the listener out there, I just want to make clear and and correct me if I'm wrong, money towards debt versus money towards equity is actually very important to understand because money toward, and this is just in business 101, is money towards equity into a company is investing into the company itself, whether it be, um, it's not going towards, um, it's not like a pot that you can pull from in terms of like buying or um, it's in theory available for that company to tap into. Equity is in itself is we want to share the company. We are we are locked in. We think that you and the team or the company itself is going to grow. So we are putting our own money where our mouth is and we're investing in you, the people, and not you the like, hey, we have available capital for you to spend if you need to tap into. Is that more or less the difference? Yeah, I think, you know, I would I would say, you know, there's not there's not a right or wrong. It doesn't make one you know, better sure. or worse. I think what matters is that it matches your overall strategy as a company. And I think for us, we said, you know, we want we want capital that we have available to be able to buy the right brands. We mm-hmm. want capital to be available to invest in the right infrastructure and be able to do that ahead of, you know, potentially acquiring all of these brands. Because, you know, again, if you're building the airplane as you're flying it, uh, you know, it can be a little bit turbulent at times. I think we thought, you know, we we want to invest for the long term. And I think, you know, having, having equity allows you to do that. I think the difference, um, and again, there's no right or wrong, but I think the difference with debt is you're constantly servicing that debt and that debt usually comes with some kind of covenants. You can only buy things that look like this. Um, and, you know, you're, you're constantly serving that, servicing that debt. And so you're going to pull a lot of levers, I think, in the short term to be able to service that debt. Whereas I think we can think a little bit more long term about what the true best thing for the business is over, you know, a five or 10 year window. Now, obviously, we're we're not trying to not focus on the short term as well. But I think we can we can make slightly different bets. And I think it aligns more to, you know, what. you know, we thought about it at Amazon or you read in, in Jeff's, you know, press releases around earnings time or used to now uh, Andy's in charge. But, you know, one of the one of the comments was, you know, we're always investing for the future. We're always thinking long term. And I think that equity we felt like had to match our business model um, because we wanted to be able to invest in long term as well. Um, you know, it was less of a focus of hey, how do we pull this lever for three months and then figure out what we're doing? It was more like, hey, we've got a strategic vision of what the next five to 10 years look like. And, you know, that capital is an important part of being able to get there. So I guess in that regards, my curiosity always gets the better of me. Why not build it yourself as a team, come together and say, we're going to do all the product research. We're going to develop all in-house instead of um, do the aqua hire, or almost not the aqua hire, but almost the take on, what other people built on and then grow up from there. What was that distinction between you and your team? You're like, Hey, we know the ins and outs. We have good logistics. We have all these different opportunities. We know the spaces we can attack, attack and target. 
why not go that route instead of and build it from the ground up instead of taking on and then grow from there? Yeah, to make sure I understand the question right, you know, in terms of <laughs> developing our own house brands as opposed to, to buying other brands. Correct. Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, it certainly gets into uh, a little bit of a, a gray area because even if you're buying a brand, you know, that brand's going to look, you know, noticeably different in five years than it looks today. And it's probably going to look a lot more like a brand that, you know, you've had, you've had some touch or feel on over that five years. And it's probably going to depend, you know, on things like new product development and, and other things. And so it's a, it's a good question. I think, you know, originally, you know, the thought is that there's, there's a lot of great brands out there that just haven't had the ability to, to scale for, for whatever reason, they've made a great connection with customers already. They've got a great product. Um, but, you know, a lot of the brand owners that I knew, you know, they, they struggled because they were only one person. So they were, you know, they might have been resource constrained. You're certainly going to make different decisions if it's your money, you know, you're, um, you're trying to build this business sustainably over time. And each decision that you make, you know, causes some amount of risk to your your ongoing financial future, right? Like you, you have all this money tied up in this business and you're going to make different decisions than if you had say unlimited capital or unlimited resources, you might see three to five opportunities that are, you know, three months, six months down the road that you could pursue and you feel really convicted about those things. You're just probably not going to pull the, pull the lever on all of those things because you're going to do them kind of incrementally over time so that you don't create too much risk for your livelihood. Um, but I think that the foundations of the connection to the customer, the creation of great products, um, those are things that I think we have resources, we have a team, we have, you know, the capital to be able to invest in those businesses. And so, getting back to the to the earlier point of you know really wanting to understand how we can best serve the founders and support them part of that is look if there's these obvious things that you could have done if you weren't constrained by maybe these two factors and we have those two factors then let's figure out how we can put our heads together and win together right and i think that's <clears throat> that's kind of a central thesis of of what we're doing here gotcha so uh, today are you do you publicly disclose how many brands you're operating or is that still an in-house? Um, you're just still, you're still growing in that factor and you guys don't disclose how many brands you guys operate. Yeah, we'll probably keep that uh, closed for now, but we've bought several. Um, we've got several others that'll be closing here shortly or we expect to close here shortly. And, you know, really the focus for us was if you're looking for, <clears throat> If you're looking for decade durable brands, you're going to have a little bit more of a filter. You're looking for, you know, these really specific things. We have 32 different data points that we look at on, you know, each opportunity that comes in front of us. And we knew that, you know, we're probably going to buy a fairly low percentage of, of all the deals that we view because we view making the right decision more important than making a lot of decisions, right? Um, right quality over quantity. And so 
you know, <clears throat> we we continue to 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 seek out great brands. There's there's a lot of them out there, um, and you know, I think it's just about staying staying disciplined to our approach because we know. And now, you know, being six, seven months down the road, we've also seen many deals that, you know, we were, we ran through our scorecard. We happened to like them. We happened to, to really like the founder and, you know, and we see what the performance looks like in each one of those data points, you know, continues to make us smarter over time as well. I love that. And, and <clears throat> I think, I think you brought up a couple of good points, Kyle, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts is. When people are, when you're looking at quality over quantity, and I, I think when you're looking on Amazon, you kind of look at quality in a couple different ways, right? You look at the BSR as in the top five, hopefully. Um, you're looking at something who has been around a long time, has lots of great reviews, verified products. Again, something that's not trendy, but it's more of an evergreen product, if that makes sense. Something that people are going to constantly need, like, um, I heard the other day, obviously like pillows or, uh, you know, you know, gadget, uh, gadgets in the kitchen um, that are consistent, like uh, slotted spoons, things like that. They're pretty consistent that you can go and have lots of quantity. Um, there's not too much things to change. It's just for a fact, it's going to be pretty consistent. And that's the quality that's going to be in the top, you know, five consistently. Is it that what you're searching for? Because or is it something that has potential and you alluded to it earlier, maybe they, maybe they're on three or page three or four and they just don't have the ability to break through the clutter, but they have such a great product and idea. And it's like, man, if we had the right capital, if we had the right ability to get it to page one, it would be a lasting product for five or 10 years. It just needs a, that, that extra push. What, which is more of the quality aspect that you're searching for, or is it both? I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, we're certainly not expecting uh, perfection. Otherwise, you know, why would you be interested in in selling? Um, and and furthermore, what impact could we have post acquisition? And if it's already in perfect shape, what what positive impact could we possibly have? So I think <clears throat> you're looking for both. You're looking for you know, these building blocks that you think have untapped future potential if certain conditions are met. And some of those conditions can be, hey, you know, wouldn't it be helpful if you had somebody that, you know, maybe uh, understood a little bit more about how, you know, the system worked and, and maybe could make a few tweaks here or there and unlock some future potential. And if we can do that, I think your question really comes down to to timing for us, you know, you're trying to find an opportunity that if certain conditions are met, there's, there's future value to be created. And, you know, in, in most cases, you know, we have to feel like there's something that we can do to positively impact the business, or it's not going to be of interest to us. <clears throat> I think we're, we're really focused on trying to find, you know, what are those Here's a snapshot in time. What are the levers that we're going to pull, and what's the what's the impact that that's going to have? Um, because that gives us a better idea of what the what the future value of that business is, and and being able to see that and then have a positive impact in a way that, you know, we want to be good stewards of the brand too. You know, we're not trying to take over a brand and and completely change 
you know, what made it successful to that point either. You know, we view our obligation to the founders is building on what they have, not, you know, tearing it down and building anew all the time. Um, you know, we'd like to to be able to find those levers that just haven't been pulled because of, you know, maybe capacity, resources, capital, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, having a lot of experience on our team that comes from digital commerce, that comes from, you know, Amazon, understanding a little bit more about how that world works allows you to see a few more, you know, opportunities that, that maybe others don't. Amazing. And for everyone who's tuning in again uh, and listening to us again, uh, we have Kyle Walker from Founder Brands, uh, former of Amazon, former of lots of different major companies that has had the opportunity to touch tens of thousands of brands and see how they're able to help them grow. Um, I'm fascinated by the concept between brand on Amazon, brand off of Amazon, Kyle. I have this distinction I've seen over the past 18 months or so that since this beginning of what the term aggregator has meant in space, right? Uh, that 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 something has been perceived as so many different things across this, like a growth managers or however you want to deem uh, the the ecosystem in itself. I've seen this transformation from we would want all of our brand success and sales for that company if we're going to acquire them to come mostly on Amazon. But I've seen a shift for some companies that have now would like to kind of be a little bit more omni-channel. It'd be more, hey, maybe it's 70% on Amazon and more direct to consumer or through other kinds of marketplace growth opportunities. Is that something that you and your team have talked about of, hey, a brand in itself can't just solely be functioning on Amazon. It has to exist outside of that, albeit very large eyeballs and transactions happening there. What's kind of that mentality behind where you see as a brand is it just existing and mainly uh selling on amazon or is it going to be that omni-channel approach as well i think ultimately any brand wants to sell wherever their customer is transacting so if you found that customer on amazon and they want to transact on amazon then you'd like that opportunity if they want to transact somewhere else you'd like that opportunity over time i think um you know we discuss it a lot and, and a lot of our conversations come down to you know, they're, they're different mechanics, right? And, and one of the things that we always talk about is, you know, within this, this aggregation or, or digital roll-up space, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be multiple winners. I think, you know, if there's one piece of advice to, to everybody that's thinking about selling their business, it's that, you know, go find out all the different things that everybody's offering, because there's not just one option to sell your company. There's, there's a lot of companies out there. Um, and you gather more information and i think you eventually start to realize whether it's a fit or not if you talk to a lot of people that have exited a business the first thing that they'll tell you is that you know the money the terms yeah they're they're certainly important because you poured a lot into your business and you want that validation of, of getting that back out but more often than not the conversation will always start with for somebody that's exited if they have any types of regret, it's that I should have talked to a few more people because I'm not sure I sold it to the right party that has the same vision that I have. And you realize <clears throat> that, you know, a lot of people in this space get enamored with, with the dollars and they think, oh, well, I've only got one place to sell it and I need to chase this. And what you realize over time is that most people that have done that 
um, end up coming back and saying, find the right fit. The fit is the most important thing. Obviously, the terms are going to be fairly similar because the market is what the market is. Um, but find the right fit. Somebody that you see a lot of similarities with their company, the people in the company that are going to be having an impact on your brand, et cetera. Um, and then back to your, so <clears throat> a little bit of an aside there, um, but, you know, just a little piece of advice, but back to your original question, you know, I think there's value in both. And, you know, that's something that we constantly talk about and we've been open to as well. You know, I think <clears throat> it depends on your business model. Again, you know, there's a lot of things that Amazon Marketplace gives you that streamline your operations and allow you to, to scale up to a point that you might not be able to if you had to build all that infrastructure on your own. Um, <clears throat> conversely, I think having a direct relationship with your customers is extremely valuable too, and and without having necessarily always to have that go between. And so, looking at brands that have um, you know a presence in both, we we just have to have a different lens for how we view their connection with customers through both. It doesn't mean one's right or wrong. Um, but I will say, you know, you have to, as a team, have different capabilities built to support those businesses. You have to be able to support a business in a direct to consumer way, different than you would support a business on Amazon. And so I think it's really about making sure that you have the team and the functionality and the playbook to be able to operationalize that over time as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, my question, my I guess my other thoughts would be for you guys as as you're building out this brand, why be brand agnostic instead of be more focused in terms of hey, we're gonna we're gonna crush it with the home and garden or the um, the kitchen or the supplements or some sort of specific category where you you can create SOPs, you can really be that go to and really just kind of and just really take over that kind of category in terms of acquisitions and know, know that background? Why, why not be, why be agnostic versus category specific? I think there's value either way. I will say, you know, our, our company tends to, to focus on a few categories. <clears throat> I think they're a little bit broader, uh, potentially than, you know, if you think about the taxonomy of Amazon, you have categories and you have subcategories and you have keywords and, and all of that stuff. Um, you know, we certainly have done our research, you know, down to the, to the keyword level as well, but I think we think generally more in terms of categories, because I think you find, you find a lot of, you know, founder led companies that, that have a presence across several different subcategories, right? So you're not just buying one product in one subcategory, which is a little bit cleaner line. You're buying this company that has potentially a presence in <clears throat> several different subcategories under a category. And so, you know, we had identified originally as part of our investment thesis, really, you know, four pillars that we kind of wanted to focus on because to your point, you can streamline operations, you can understand more about the market, et cetera. But I think we always left ourselves open to saying, you know, those, those pillars might only make 70, 80% of our portfolio. A great brand is a great brand and we should always be, you know, open-minded to, to what opportunities come. And there's, there's been several times that that's proved out true where, you know, originally we saw 
a, a brand or a company and it was slightly outside of maybe the category that, that we had defined or the four categories that we defined really. And we looked and we said, you know, if you look behind the numbers, if you didn't know what the category was, it exhibits the same principles of how we identified the first four categories to begin with. And so, you know, this might be interesting to, to see a few more cards here and understand more about the business. And it, and it became more interesting over time. Right. No, that's, I, I like that answer for sure. Would, would you ever, would you ever go about buying either a brand that's not a 3P seller or a brand? Uh, for what I mean by that is, would you buy somebody who operates wholesale or does retail arbitrage? Is that something that's even in the, in the cards or the deck for you? Or is that just something that you as a company you don't feel as scalable or it, the business model is just a little too nuanced for you as a company, how you're set up right now? You know, we're we're open-minded, but I think we're primarily focused on those those marketplace brands, mostly because you know our our background is is in marketplace, and our background is on you know brand building and the tools that brands use to 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 build themselves, and so that's going to be our primary focus. That is our focus today. I think over time, who knows? Um, you know, I think each each potential opportunity has to be, um, you know, there's always this delicate balance of, you know, trying to find things that, you know, are right down the fairway that you know exactly how to kind of measure and, and provide impact for. And then there's other opportunities that present themselves that are that are great opportunities that involve a little bit more open-mindedness and diligence to, to try and figure out what the business model is, how you could have a positive impact. I think most of our team and operations really from the onset have been built out to support, you know, brands that that transact in either a D2C way or or you know D2C through Amazon in marketplace. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're closed-minded to to learning more about other other ways. And you know, we're obviously going to evolve as a business over time as well. But I think you know our focus right now is certainly on marketplace brands. Sure. Yeah, and the reason I ask, uh, it was actually something that came up in an AMA I hosted yesterday for a pretty big Facebook group. Um, the notion of do people acquire brands outside of just third-party uh, or third-party brands? Um, obviously, one P would be an other, you know, major corporation in the, that's a completely different segment. But in terms of wholesale, um, or even in the terms of like retail arbitrage, um, for example, pharma packs who just announced that they're going public. And I know this is kind of, they were one of the top US sellers is a brand, but they, all of their inventory is built around arbitrage and um, buying other kinds of goods and then selling. Didn't even mention that they're going to be profitable until I think two years from now, which is kind of, uh, believe it or not, crazy to believe. So I know the models are completely different in terms of buying and selling an inventory or all over the place. But it, it's something like that where they're going through a public acquisition to to be publicly offered. Super fascinating to see that 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 is a business model that can quote unquote yield you know profitability, but then also is a brand in itself because you know even though it's a different model than traditional third party brands that aggregators or roll up companies are acquiring, that there are these other opportunities. Like you said, it might be too big for why would you? want someone to acquire you if they're already doing so well. So I guess in that regards is, is there a 
is there brands that are just too big that you would have not no shot but like but they are just too big and they're like we're good like we we got this down to a team we have a great team in place is there is there a space where you have to work within in terms of maybe the seller wants to acquire and they'll find you in that regards or they are just like coming along and they're growing at a, an amazing speed and they just you don't entertain that idea or you're not even going to ask them does that make sense it does there <clears throat> there's a lot to unpack there because i think you hit on um, <laughs> quite a few uh important kind of uh topics there you know the first i would say is you know look everybody's going to define a brand slightly differently i've been in i've been in rooms you know as we were trying to figure out what what truly made a brand and you know the frustrating and and also i guess beautiful part of it is that you can get to about seven or eight definitions of what makes a brand you know including what you said about pharmapax or um who's primarily you know, reselling others consumer goods, but but doing it in a way that, you know, clearly demonstrates that they've had some connection or positive impact on kind of the value chain as a brand. You know, you have more traditional brands where a founder created a brand, et cetera. And then literally you can get to seven or eight different definitions that you can all defendably say, these are brands. Um, and so, you know, it does get complex. Um, I think for for us, um, you know, then you also kind of led into to the size discussion. I think for us, it's really defining a business that is large enough to that, you know, we can go through the process and it actually makes an impact to our business. Like, you know, you spend you spend a lot of time and, and effort and resources trying to be able to to actually reach an agreement and, you know, purchase somebody's brand. And it's got to be substantial enough that that time and effort was actually, you know, worth it. Right. So we certainly have a, a floor. Um, you know, I would say given our capital structure, our ceiling is a little bit bigger and that, you know, we have access to this capital. We've got a great group of, um, you know, equity sponsors that are very supportive. So we've looked at, you know, a lot of larger brands too. I think, you're obviously making a bigger bet. And so your criteria may change a little bit. Um, and you may, you may have a different set of standards or things that you look at with a larger brand, but, you know, as of now, you know, there hasn't been something that we've just walked away from and said, we don't even want to learn more because it's too big. But I think then the third part of what you said, I think is, is maybe the most important part, which is, Look, if you've got a large operation and everything is going great on your business, you have access to capital, you have all the team that you're going to need and you continue to grow, you're probably not interested in selling to begin with. Um, so I think, you know, there there are scenarios where that's not true. There's always exceptions to every rule. But I think, you know, generally the, the folks that that we talk to, there's some there's some there's some value that they see in in a collaboration or partnership, which is really how we view, you know, our our strategy is there's something that they see of value, whether it's, you know, the knowledge um, from the team, whether it's the infrastructure of the team, whether it's the access to resources or, um, you know, a bunch of other things. But 
they see some value in having that conversation. And then ultimately what you're just looking for is a bargaining zone that you know that there's some way that there's there's some ability to both sides benefit. There's a win-win scenario out there and there's enough room that we feel like we'll we'll get to a positive outcome for both parties. Absolutely. Is there has there been a shift in where you've seen brands that are trying to exit their business? Because you're you're the one who probably who handles the, for the team. You're doing your due diligence. You're looking at the the ins and outs of these brands on a day to day basis. Has there been a shift in where people are quote unquote coming short in terms of why they might be wanting to exit their brand? Like at first uh, a year ago or so, or back in March when you were first talking to these sellers, it might have been, or even before then, it might have been you know what, we just can't get into different kinds of Amazon marketplaces. Like there's, there's 20 of them. Now we want, we, we're only, we can only do it in.com. I know if we tried to do internationally, we don't have that skill set. We don't have enough people to do it, but now it's my, maybe shifted towards something else. Is there anything particular that's standing out to you, whether it be like supply chain or just capital issues or has there been a shift in that? I don't know that there's been a shift. I think that realization uh, that you hit on is the most important factor. It's that something has occurred to somebody as being a limiter on the future growth of their business, whether it's, you know, like you said, the, the knowledge to take something global, um, the time to take something global. In a lot of cases, you know, people have bootstrapped their business and they've figured out how to do it once. They could figure out how to do it again. They just probably don't have enough time. Um, and then you know, I think there's there's a lot of capabilities that come with with size and scale too. Where, you know, having a centralized supply chain team, not many Amazon sellers, you know, of most sizes have centralized services that they're accessing. It's the it's the entrepreneur themselves that's doing a little bit of everything. Um, and and what we find a lot of times too is. You know, somebody started a business because they were really passionate about one or two particular areas about the business. Like they love developing new products. They love marketing those new products. And as their business has grown, you know, they've inherited eight other things that, you know, take up their time that allow them to not have the time to do the two things that they love. And so one of the most common things that we hear in a lot of our conversations is, I'd love to stay engaged. I'd love to continue to do new product development, or I'd love to continue to do marketing. It's just these other eight things. And when you have a, a larger team and you have those centralized services, you can, you know, offer something that's of value to them, which is to take those things off their plate, um, you know, potentially allow them to participate in, in the business in the ways that they want to. Um, and contribute a lot of growth and, and find win-win scenarios to do just that. Like we're, I think it's, I think it's naive for, for anyone that is in the aggregation space to think that, and this is true of us as well. There's no way on day one, we're going to know as much about a business as somebody that's poured seven years of their heart and soul into a business. And so to the extent that you know, they want to continue to participate and believe in the business, you know, we see a lot of value in that. And we see a lot of value in trying to, you know, make that easy for them to contribute in a new way and, and really partner with them so that we can drive value. Because look, if we drive value together, we all still win together. Like we don't have to win separately. It's not a fixed pie. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of opportunities to do this stuff together. And so I think, yeah, you're right. Generally, you come to a realization that there's some limiter on your business that you would be better off um, having some type of help or support. And that's really, you know, what we're here for. Absolutely. Is there, um, and I know, uh, we, again, for everyone, again, we have Kyle Walker from Foundry Brands, um, formerly of Amazon and a bunch of other great, fantastic companies uh, they work for in the past. Um, but you and your company have been around for, or have been announced, I guess, as a, as a public or that you are a company, I want to say, I know you've, before that announcement, there's been lots of things behind the scenes, but since March, and that's less than a year, is there, is there kind of a focus on how to end the year strong as the, as key four is right here, obviously we're in it right now. Is there a focus specifically on a certain area that you and the team want to make sure that you can get through in terms of, Hey, let's get through our first Q4 as a team together, have certain expectations. Um, what does that look like for you going through your first Q4 as a team right now? Yeah, it, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of, like with any startup, there's a lot of first times. There's a lot of first times every single day, whether it's getting through our first Q4, whether it's, you know, operating our first um, several brains through in Q4, whether it's, you know, the different, each of those brands probably has a slightly different uh, impact that we're expecting during Q4 and success looks different for each of them. And, and you're trying to do these things at scale, but you're also trying to be individually supportive of each of the businesses. And, you know, there's a, it seems like there's a million things that we learn, um, you know, every single day, but I think that's part of the process too. I mean, just looking back, um, you know, over the, the really the first six months of our business, a little over six months, you know, looking back at some of the things that, that have changed, you know, if you think about, we got, we wrapped up our funding at the end of March. So most of the brands that we were viewing initially, you know, how do you make sense of what happened during COVID, which was arguably one of the craziest times in, you know, e-commerce history. You had all these people shopping online, uh, brought a, brought a ton of new customers to e-commerce shopping that maybe weren't there or, you know, maybe didn't purchase with the same frequency. And, you know, you're trying to evaluate year over year you know, what that business really looks like at steady state. And so figuring out, you know, is 2019 a better indicator? Is 2020 during those three months or the other nine months of the year a better indicator? And I think all of those things just involve a lot of time and effort and really diving in with the brand owner to, to truly understand the business. Um, and, you know, we've learned, we've learned a ton about that. You know, the impacts were different on you know different subcategories or or keywords um but almost everybody had some impact whether that was hey we sold a bunch but our supply chain was you know got broken for a period of time and we missed some sales or um you know we were a little bit slower but we navigated it well because we sourced from x or y you know there's there's a million factors in it and it takes more time truthfully to to be able to understand that impact um especially during that time but i would say our focus during q4 is just look this is you know we're six plus months into a business and we've learned a lot of lessons and we want to be better tomorrow than we were today and um you know that's really the focus that i think you need to have as a startup is 
there's a million things that that we learn every day. How do you translate those into making sure that we're smarter, we're more operationally focused the next day? And I think the team's done a really good job of of doing that. Just you know, trying to anticipate. Look, the reality is you're going to learn some things along the way. Just don't learn hard lessons twice, and and continue to have a positive impact on the business. And so far, we've been able to do that. Great. I mean, great insight there for sure. Um, as we're wrapping up on this episode, uh, I because you were on the marketplace team, I have a question. Um, now that Amazon has 20 different marketplaces that are available to sell as third-party seller, is there one in particular, not in the United States, um, that you have your eye on that's really kind of exciting? You're, you have your eye on in terms of like growth potential or really just intrigued how it's going to shake out in terms of the adoption of Amazon both there, but then also how sellers can touch in that region and sell in that region moving forward. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Amazon in a lot of ways has made it easier for marketplace sellers to access other places. You know, you had unified accounts and so you've got, a, you know, the ability to have a presence in Canada and Mexico and um, certainly through, through the UK, which, you know, um, shares a common language, you know, you can get access to, you know, a great amount of Europe uh, within two days. And, you know, it's interesting because <clears throat> Europe's highly fragmented. And so it, you know, if you're, if you're off Amazon in particular, so, you know, being able to kind of think through and understand where your customers are searching for your products and, and what, what markets might have positive impact. I know with, with the two, um, you know, two companies that I'm thinking of right now, uh, that, you know, we've done, we've done our homework on, you know, they might have, it might be a different answer for both of them. You know, they're, you know, if one's in, you know, let's say office, we might have a different answer. And if one's in sports and outdoors, we might have a different answer just because the demographics are, are so different across all of those marketplaces. But I think, look, <clears throat> you know, the gateway that, you know, that most Amazon sellers take is going from the US to the UK and then figuring out the, you know, the other four marketplaces, uh, primary marketplaces in Europe that, that do require translation services. And, you know, Amazon's done a lot to, to benefit um, sellers that want to do that quicker. Um, but I think ultimately it's just finding out you know, where are our customers located and where would we have the most impact and, and positive return for, for, for our efforts? You know, that doesn't mean we take every seller on day two, you know, globally to, to X country. It, it matters to try and work backwards from where are our customers at? How do we access those customers? And then what has to be true to get there? Yeah. Great insight there. And then finally, what's the, uh, what's the toughest brand to acquire in your mind um you're the person is there a specific category or just one that if it hits your in inbox and you look at it and you see what kind of category it gives you chills um looking at it or it gets you excited I, I guess what's what's the one category that invokes the most emotional response for me whether it's like not another one of these blank categories and you throw something across the room or you're like thank god that finally something i can i can try to acquire for our company in this category is there one or another that's that really invokes this emotional response from you no i think yeah i mean it's probably category agnostic but i would say you know so many times 
you know, I think we, we even internally have these discussions all the time and this continues to evolve. But, you know, you look, if you look at, say, 32 different data points, you're never going to achieve perfection. And so the question then becomes, um, what are those things that are imperfect today that we feel like we could have a positive impact on on that journey? And, you know, there are there are times where, you know, out of those 32 factors, we feel like five of them are more important than others and, and they score well there. And so we move forward. And I think, you know, if anything, the frustration is, you know, that, that I feel is that I think every business that I've ever viewed has potential. Um, and you're trying to assess in a startup uh and and i really believe that that's true they all have potential there are all opportunities to grow every single brand that we see every year i think the hardest decisions that you have to make are you know if we have x number of acquisitions per year we have you know x capital to deploy how is it deployed in a way that makes the most sense for our team to be as efficient as possible and so trying to you know you feel this you feel this obligation and, and real, true, genuine belief that every one of these brands has potential, but sometimes you have to make hard decisions on, you know, if you have A and you have B, we could get, we feel like the levers on A are easier to pull and more within our kind of sphere of competence and B, you know, has a ton of potential, but it might be a little bit harder. You're always going to lean in the other direction. Um, and so... You know, I think those are those are the hardest, most frustrating decisions to make because at the end of the day, they all have potential. It's just a matter of, you know, what's the most efficient use of our resources to to have an impact. Absolutely. I, I like those answers. And, and and that's and that's the difficult nature you guys have to be uh put it on a daily basis. And that's what's fascinating about brands that do get acquired versus not. Like what what are those distinguishing factors? Um why a brain would exit or where they're exiting with and who they're exiting with and who sees more potential in it. I know like it's almost like a bidding process, right? Of right of you might be bidding with five other companies, 10 other companies, or just one other company. Uh, there's a reason for all of those kinds of things. And so it's it's difficult to say like what you truly know in in like your expertise, but then also just, you know, maybe it's a gut feeling that you've been able to develop over time of we really can really do something great with it and and move forward with it so i think that's really cool and and quite frankly a terrifying uh <laughs> a job to have on your uh a responsibility to put on your shoulders so um i'm sure that's something that when people get that new brand in their inbox and you say this is the brand uh, that we're working with and we just acquired uh let's let's make it work and people are, are trusting and that's a really cool position being kyle um I don't know if it you is, have anything but, else to add to it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to add that, you know, I think one of the, you're right. Uh, nobody likes to be in that position, but I think that's why, you know, in envisioning where this company was going to go and, and, you know, specifically what my role was going to look like. Literally one of the very first questions I probably had before we ever even started the conversation about fundraising you know, last fall and, and wrapping it up in March and all of that stuff was I, <clears throat> I can't sit in this seat unless I feel like I'm having a positive impact on everybody that, you know, we engage with. And so, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, you know, we're probably going to partner with, you know, 
say dozens of companies every year, but we're going to serve thousands of companies every year. And getting back to my earlier point of, you know, reach out and engage with more people because, you know, the, the M&A process or, or a business exit, if it's your first time going through, or even if you've been through it several times, or even if you've worked in M&A for 15 years, you're always going to learn something through the process from somebody else. And as you start accumulating all of these different little tidbits from, from everybody, you're going to make a more informed decision um, that, that benefits you more long-term. And so, again, I would encourage people to, to gather as much information, talk to as many of you know, the aggregators as, as they feel um, necessary and talk to us because you know if it's not a fit we're we're very transparent with saying that you know it's it's not going to be a fit for the great majority of people that we talk to but we still want to have a positive impact on your journey and maybe we can give you a couple of things to think about that help influence you know again where where you do ultimately find a home and if if you reach out to us and it and it is a great fit then i'm confident that we're going to have the right discussion to find the right outcome for you because we're actually going to listen and we're going to take it into account we're going to be creative to find something that you know makes sense because ultimately the the thing that i want is that whether we did business or we didn't do business you know in five years if you said did you have a good experience with foundry the answer is always going to be yes. And for those that we didn't have an experience with, it's because we gave you a couple of things to think about that better informed your journey into, you know, kind of this ambiguous space. If we did do business together, it's because we spent the time to get to know you, crafted the right creative deal so that, you know, you're still happy with it in five years. And I think that's incredibly important because to your point, it is terrifying to, to sit there and think, Hey, we're just going to have to tell somebody no, and they're going to go on their way and they're going to, you know, not have the greatest experience. And so one of the first questions we asked was, how do we add value to everybody that we impact? And, and that's one of the ways, and it's something that's a core value of, of what we started the company around. Absolutely. And I think that's, uh, that's a partnership mentality that I, I always try to attribute and I, I, I see great assets or a great responsibility on that from you guys and just anyone in the space, right? You don't want to, the people coming to you have put their heart and soul into something and it's their greatest asset that they can potentially have their own. Um, and when people walk away and they say, Hey, there's nothing here, there's no value that can be devastating to an individual, individual or entrepreneur. But if it's a coaching mentality or saying, Hey, listen, you're great in these areas, work on these. Um, we, we just can't, at this time, know for a fact that it's going to be at the level we need to be successful at, um, but it doesn't mean it's not successful. So always giving that or that that feedback, if you will, whether it be positive or negative, is always going to be um, helpful for people in the long term. So as long as that's kind of the the mentality you guys are approaching with, I, I think that's a that's a win experience for everyone involved. Absolutely, hundred percent. Awesome. Well, yeah, and, and I know Kyle, I know I've took, we've ran over the hour mark and I told you we would do this, um, but uh, for people who are, who are curious or want to learn more information, just want to engage with you or the team at Foundry, what's the way that they can do that? Um, is it through the website or the connecting with you um, personally? Uh, either, you can always find me on uh, LinkedIn. You can find Foundry Brands on LinkedIn. Um, you can visit uh, foundrybrands.com. Uh, we have various mechanisms on the site to be able to connect directly with us if you're interested in 
you know, learning more about what an exit might possibly mean for you, there's um, an avenue there to, to email our team directly. Um, you know, there's also places to, to, you know, look at open job applications and, and recs that we have open. And so um, I would just encourage everybody to, to learn a little bit more. We, uh, we certainly pride ourselves on being a team of operators and, and we've got a great team in place. And, you know, I think giving yourself the chance to, to engage with our team will be a positive experience and, and encourage you all to, to learn more about Foundry Brands because we do believe that we're different and unique and, um, again, may not be a fit for everybody, but uh, no harm in, in learning some more. We'll try and leave you better off than when you started. Awesome. Well, great stuff there. And thank you so much for spending and, you know, lending your time and insights and expertise with our listeners and audience today. Um, thank you so much. And now friend of the show, uh, Kyle Walker of Foundry Brands. Thank you so much for joining us bright and early there on the West Coast. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to drink another cup of coffee for you because uh, it, it's early over there still, but, you, you know, the weary are the there's no risk for the the weary e-commerce never sleeps, if you will, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm going to go right. load on coffee, but it was a pleasure. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ryan. No problem. Thank you again. Uh, now for the show, Kyle Walker. Again, Kyle, thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce. And everyone who tuned in today, uh, tune in today on episode 165. Uh, this was, you know, looking at the insights and the foundation of building a brand online and on Amazon. Again, Kyle, Kyle knows the insights because working with Amazon and now working with Foundry, just what they're looking for in terms of good uh, brands, you know. There, I like the the phrase he used today that there's there's positive aspects in everything that you see online because th there's always a glimmer of success, no matter what that scale might be. Again, it could be a large top 100 seller, or it can be something that just is fitting a micro niche, and that would be something that is valuable in certain aspects of lots of people's lives. It can be life changing for some people, um, but brand brands have that scale, right? Um, depending on who you are as a company and what kind of risks they you know, are looking for or what uh, portfolio fit really for different companies. But I like the aspect of positivity, uh, but also insights to walk away from the experience is always going to be important too. So that being said, this has been crossover commerce again, one episode 165. If you thought this was the end of the show, uh, the end of our episodes, think again, we have three more episodes next week that are going to be coming live um, Tuesday through, I want to say Friday, we have lots of great insights from different people in the Amazon e-commerce space. Again, as the intro uh, mentioned earlier, this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon e-commerce space, whether it be in marketing, logistics, uh, acquisitions to building brands like we talked about today. It's it's gonna be talked about on this podcast. So go definitely go ahead and subscribe to our channels on social media, but then also you can catch all of our so, uh, audio components that we release daily, uh, if not every other day. Um, episodes on your favorite podcast station, or you can just catch everything video and audio at usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. That being said, this is Crossover Commerce. I'm Ryan Kramer. I'm your host. Um, this is my corner of the internet, and we have been a pleasure talking with you guys on this Friday at Brighton Early. Good luck this weekend, whether you're an Amazon seller or e-commerce entrepreneur, or just want to take a break. Again, it's beautiful, hopefully where you're at. Go ahead and enjoy the weekend, and great success. It's Q4, so... Hopefully things are starting to look up for you in that regards. But until then, next episode, we'll catch you guys next time. Take care.